Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me as always are Vince and Zach. We're here to talk about the books coming out on May 31st, 2022. And we're going to start with Justice League Road to Dark Crisis number one. Um, we'll talk about the creative teams sort of uh, as we go along here. But I, I have a question for you guys, which is I, it hit me while reading this book. And I think this is maybe the crux of my problem with modern DC events. And I want to see if it if it rings true for you at all or if you guys think I'm crazy here. Um, my big problem with these big crisis level events now is that stories like this are are relegated to these one shots and we don't get to see the world of the comics affected in this way. Now, maybe that's because Dan Jurgens do the first story and so this feels very much like a zero hour type story. But I feel like in the in the olden days of crossovers, you would get, you know, infinite crisis number one. And by the time you got to infinite crisis number six or eight, however many are in that series, like the entire DC universe felt like this book where you're seeing people dealing with absences, dealing with the sort of reality they find themselves in. And I feel like now what happens in these books is that you get an issue like this that will sort of fill in some of the gaps around the universe. There'll be a handful of tie-ins and there's the book proper. Now I'm not saying that I want for the show purposes, us to read every single book out there, but I do think something is lost when you don't get to spend time in the status quo where the status quo is basically only there to get us to the next status quo. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I really, you're just saying you miss when there were tie-ins like extensive tie-ins. I'm not even saying tie-ins. I just feel like I missed when, an event would would fill the DC universe, even if it's not an explicit tie in. If the tone of the event would be the tone of the DC universe. May I suggest something? Sure. First of all, I agree with you. Um, that's my preference. Um, second of all, I can see why they don't do it, because I think. um if they want books like Batman or Superman to sell to their potential, they have to have, they have to fashion those books separately and differently these days than, than by having the status quo be something else tied into an event. Maybe not everybody is reading or, or everyone's checked out. And I think what we're seeing, I think what you're asking for, Brian, is what we would have got if 5G actually happened. And I think the steering away from that is what we ended up getting where you still got a bunch of the rumored 5G elements all across the line. You still got this dark crisis event that based on the team construction and the characters being used sounds very much like what maybe was going to happen with 5G, except since it never happened and that idea got shit canned, we have a bunch of other books in the DCU that don't reflect this at all. And maybe, maybe you and I are kind of bummed about that, but I think maybe if you, for the sales department at DC, that's probably a better way to go. 
Does that I mean, make sense? Yeah, you're probably not wrong about that. But I would argue that at this point, the comics audience is a very self-selecting crew and that your average issue of any superhero comic that isn't a number one is never going to break through in the way that that a comic broke through a decade or two decades ago. And so I don't know how many people who read Batman every month would check out if the status quo was disrupted for any period of time. You know, I wonder about that. I actually, I was in my comic shop the other day um, and I was talking to the owner. We were talking about the new uh, volume of uh, Amazing Spider-Man because he was talking about how it's like been selling out way more than he kind of expected to and wasn't like really sure why. And, and we, we were talking about like the Nick Spencer run and like kind of, kind of how much it sucked, even though I haven't read it, but he was just like talking about how like, mo- he, he's like, yeah, most of the people I talked to said it, it sucked, but like, it's consistently still one of our best sellers because it's Spider-Man. And right, so like, exactly. I feel like Batman is in that. Like, I don't feel like Batman ever really. No, and I, but I'm just using that. Those as examples. No, I, I, I'm I talking about I the line, as a whole, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, I, I really wonder because, like, every book just, if it's not like Batman, it, it, it's gonna just. Once you get past like issue twelve, it's probably just gonna like shed readers. Like, and that's why mm-hmm. they have to restart. I feel like there would not be a significant difference if a book tied into a greater status quo versus was more siloed when the book is still going to get canceled after like 20 (laughs) issues you know i just i don't see how it could like make a significant difference maybe maybe it helps more on the back end with trades if they're more siloed but even Mm -hmm. then i don't know yeah i mean just the reason that this came like front of mind for me when reading this um this issue is that the first story which is a Dick Grayson, John Kent team up just this feels so classically like what happens during events where it's you you get these stories of two characters kind of like summarizing the the various pieces of the events and talking about how it affects them in a personal way where it doesn't feel like it's just being said to catch the reader up, but there's actual discourse about what's happening to these characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a credit to Williamson as a writer of this story, uh, because I think he has both the Dick Grayson and the John Kent sort of mindset down pretty well. And it's also a credit to Juergens because I, you know, I I know that we have all had our fun with Dan Juergens, but I think Dan Juergens as an artist is still considerably better than Dan Juergens as a writer. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And this just, because this is throwing back to, the death of Superman stuff. It just feels so classically Jurgens here. Yeah, this, it this really a, feels like a. It really feels like a like a some kind of melding between like '90s and 2000s DC. Yes, and so I, I I love it for that reason, but I also feel like this is a glimpse into the way that things used to be, in terms of how how how, how in universe characters treated crises. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I really miss that. So that I, I wanted to start the conversation there because I feel like we may not have a ton to say about these stories individually, but I feel like this is generally a good thing. I like when DC does these sorts of issues. Um, I wanted to say that I thought the opening to this issue was super goofy where like uh, John just like swoops in with a huge grin on his face and, yep. then, and then Dick makes a joke and he's like, how could you be joking at a time like this? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think of this first story? Um, it was it was good, especially they're like teasing the vigil that we know is happening in Dark Crisis, and um, that last page with John and Dick um, in the foreground, and 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 Superman and Batman in the background is really killer. Jurgens page, um, it, it's good for what it is. My problem with it is that like the rest of this comic tries to do a similar thing with a few of its stories and it's kind of diminishing returns. Uh, you're right, Brian. I think if this were sprinkled and this is just me being like, this is me being really picky, but I think if this stuff were sprinkled out throughout the proper books uh, that are part of the weekly grind, it would, this makes it feel like more of a gimmick. Like, yes. hey, for, for one issue, we're all going to talk about how this is affecting us personally. Um, but then don't worry, next month you can see Superman in uh, War World and Batman in uh, the Bad Batman Inc. tie-in or whatever. Um, right. It's, yeah, just the, the this is fine, but it makes me think about how much more impactful it would be if, if the whole line were being right driven driven by it yeah i mean i on one hand i do kind of like that you can just rather that like from a collector's standpoint if you want to have like the whole event you can get it all in like all these moments in this one issue rather than having to buy like five issues of comics that you may not otherwise want just for like maybe five pages of story relevant stuff yeah that is nice. Um, but I'm sure would, I, I'm sure I've made the exact same point against myself. Like, yeah, you could find it a year ago or something. Well, but. well, but like, I still do think, and I mean, I've already talked about how like I don't, I kind of don't like that the rest of the line isn't reflecting the status quo with like War World still happening and you know Arthur still being in Aquaman and Batman and Bruce existing. You know, it's like. I, that already bothers me a little bit. And so there's, there, for me, there is like some cognitive dissonance there of like, I want both, <laughs> I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I, I think there is a way to, to sort of give, give you both of these things. Like, I think it would have been cool if, and I'm, I'm pulling a month out of my ass here. Like if they said that August is the dark crisis month, where all the books reflected our crisis status quo for that one month. And then you can go back to your other stories before and after that. Yeah. Just, just so we got like every, so we could get every book sort of take on this. Mm -hmm. Cause that was the fun of like a zero hour or something like that, where you would get every title would, would be impacted somehow. And it, there, sometimes it was 
done very poorly. But other times there were really interesting, creative ways to make those books carry over, you know, so I, I would love to see something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on this particular uh, story in the book? Um, no, other than I still do really like the Dick and John dynamic, you know, we've seen it in Nightwing and Son of Kal-El. Um, and I just, I, I wish that this, I wish that they were the face of the DCU for real. Yes. You know, yeah. I wish, I yeah. wish that we can move past Bruce and, and Clark and, and just have it be these two. Uh, but we'll never do that. So, uh, in an interview that isn't out yet, but will be out soon that I did with Joshua Williamson, he kind of teased this story as saying like he he felt it was important to show the sort of both sides of this argument, right? Where for some people, this death feels very permanent. And for some people, this death probably feels like it does for us. We're like, we know they're coming back, right? And there's a, an interesting amount of metatextuality to that that I think is is fun, but I'm glad that this was if this conversation has to happen, I'm glad it happened and is done with. And we don't have an entire book about this. Hmm. I think that would be exhausting. Sure. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to story number two here? Yeah. Yeah. This story is called Life of Purpose. It's written by Jeremy Adams, illustrated by Rossi Campy. Life of Pablo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stay loopy, Wally West. Um, Black Racer. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so this is a Wally West story. It's it's really a Wally and Wallace West story. And uh, Wally like... called them Ace now. So I was, I was going to bring that up. Thing? I don't know if that's been a thing. I, I, I didn't notice until here, but I like it because it's both a nickname and also the end of his first name. Uh huh. Yeah. Like Wallace, you know. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's good. I, I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. But I only. I'm, want I'm waiting for him to bend over that. and talk out of his butt, though. <laughs> Pardon me. May I ask you a question about the Speed Force? <laughs> that's See, an Ace Ventura you guys joke. would go to Ace Ventura, whereas I go to One Piece. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, you're, yes. And Walt would go to Ace Attorney, right? <laughs> there you yes, go. There yeah. you go. The, the three genders. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I, I really like what Jeremy Adams has been doing with Wally. I think in general, Wally has was, you know, Wally was gone for five or six years, then was misused for three or four years. And I feel like since infinite frontier, Wally's been used really well. And the, he, the people just get who the character is right now. And I think this is a really good indication of sort of Adams and his handle on Wally as a character. And just the hope he brings. Yeah. I thought there was a really interesting line in here where I think I think it was in this story, wasn't it? Or no, maybe it was in the, the previous one where they were talking about how like it was really hard on Wally when Barry died, but it was maybe even harder on him when he came back. Yes, that's something that, that I think uh, Dick says uh, to. Yeah, to John. Yeah, which was yeah. a very, very like insightful 
line, especially like from a meta textual level, you know? Yeah, you were thinking of the better story. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, this this story was fine. Vincy? It was fine, but this is what I'm talking about with diminishing returns, because I think I think this essentially accomplishes the same thing as the first story, but not as well. And that's no knock against Adams because the, the his Adams flash has been really, really good um, all along. Um, like, I think he's a good writer, but I, I just think coming right off the back of the uh, John and Dick story, it, this really does the same thing and not quite as well. Um, so, you know, I didn't love it. What do you think about the art in this one? Fine. I, I, I enjoy uh, Campy's art well enough, but again, not not as much as Jurgens. <laughs> right. Who thought this would be such a Jurgens heavy episode? I mean. We're, yeah. the, we're probably the reasons Jurgens still like has a job at DC just because of us, you know? because <laughs> yeah, sure. we've been so kind to jurgen's writing yes we, we we've truly been uh the the uh the the john the baptist preparing the way for the jurgen's return return here um i i mean we do we do talk about him a lot and we, we're big aficionados of the jurgen's point we are <laughs> yeah you're right yeah we're we're his we're his hype beasts we are Remember when I had Dan Dio and Jim Lee do that with me? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is that what? Is that when I was hiding behind a pillar? No, that was a yeah, different time. That was a different oh, time. Okay, that was a different time. Uh, trying to get uh, Dan Dio to talk about his new Frank Miller jobs. He can also talk to me about OMAC. Oh boy. So we'll see. Um. All right. Let's move on to uh, story number three, which is called "The Survivors" by Chuck Brown and Fico Osio. Uh, this story was a big step down in terms of art for me. This was I, a bummer because I Osio was on Superman and the Authority, right? Did I make that up? You made that up. Osio uh, Osio was on the Mister Miracle. No, I think no. that. I don't think that's right either. No. Osio was on the. Hang on. Hold on. I'm looking up here. Okay, Fico Osio was on. Let's see. Oh, maybe you're right, Zach. Yeah, I, well, I want to say he was on like that middle issue. Mr. Miracle, the source of freedom. Okay, but right. he is he was also, also on the, the middle issue of Superman and the Authority. Yes. Okay. Okay. We're once again, we're both right. <laughs> um, yeah, th- this does this not is look as good. Down. No, this yeah, is not. And I don't good. know what it is. Like, uh, I can't, I can't, I don't know. Because he did he ink himself on this too? Maybe that's the issue. I don't know. Let's see. It looks like he was inked by yeah himself here. Maybe that's maybe that's it. Yeah, the colors don't help either. I think the colors are. Uh, this gave me big. Uh, this gave me big Green Lantern. Uh, infinite front. This is like uh, big. What's what was that artist's name that we all. Santucci. 
Yeah, or or the other one. Yeah, Sintucci or Rainey. This yeah. like this this fits. This could have been art in that book, you know? Yes. To me. This is a reference that only Vince will get, but Hal makes a couple of uh weird Alice Rambo faces from UHF <laughs> throughout this. Yeah, yeah. Uh this, this is just this was a very rough looking issue or yeah. story rather. And I feel like this story, like, again, if this was an issue of Aquaman and you could give Hal and Jackson more time to talk and all that, it wouldn't feel so rushed. This feels just like this feels very, very compressed in a not very satisfying way. Yeah. Yeah, um, I did like the unconventional pairing of Jackson Hyde and Hal. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty fun pairing. And I think there were a couple interactions that were um, not surprising, but just refreshing to to see uh, these two bounce off one another. Um, That said, again, it's it's accomplishing a very similar thing as the, the prior two stories. Yes. And again, didn't look as good and didn't do anything else really to set it apart. Uh, not bad, but the, 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 the Jackson Hal pairing is the only thing I'm getting out of it. I think. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah that's, that's enough about that one. Uh, next up is the pariah. By Philip Kennedy Johnson and Layla Del Luca, Del Duca rather. Zach, why don't you start us off talking about this one? Uh, well, this is definitely, I think, the best looking story in the whole issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a non-story, really, but also Pariah is just kind of a cool character, and I like the imagery. So, I mean, it was fine. It. it I don't yeah. it it was it was very slight, but I liked it. Vincy? Yeah, I, I think this was my favorite story out of this one shot. Um I, I will say I didn't love this as a one shot um very much. Like I, I, I feel like it was very much a I don't know, cash grab is is harsh, but like um it is only the most threadbare prelude, I think, to Dark Crisis. Like, I would say, I would say, almost none of this is essential. Um, maybe the first story. Maybe. 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 I don't even. I wouldn't yeah. call it essential. It's it's nice set dressing, but I would say this story is the closest one to essential because of something that I, um, something that I criticized maybe two or three months ago about the Dark Crisis lead up, which is that pariah came back as this cackling villain that had no motivation to be doing what he was doing. And here they give him motivation. It's the most predictable motivation you'll ever get from a villain, which is that his family was stolen from him. <laughs> but, but, it, but uh, you know, motivation nonetheless, and it, it does enrich his character and and gives him a reason to be around other than to say, hey, look, it's that guy from the 80s. Yes, I, I will um, agree that this at least gave him some sort of motivation going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, th- yeah, this is probably my favorite 
they, they, I would think that if they did like a Dark Crisis collection, they should probably pluck this story out and put it in, and the rest can the rest can stay out. Really, mm-hmm. this does. I think even the first one could make it in. The first one and and this one kind of deserve sure. to be in that collection. Okay, that that first I'll, I'll these, these two together have big zero issue vibes. Yes, and those yes. two together would they 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 accomplish the job of the other two that are very redundant. Yeah. Yes. Well, that brings us to our final story in this, which is because the night by Stephanie Phillips and Clayton Henry, and who gives a shit about this? <laughs> That's true, but it's also I think very good looking. Clayton Henry does good work here, but it's a nocturnal story, and who gives a shit? When did when did Nocturna and Steph Brown get on a first name basis? That's what I want to know. I don't know. There, maybe that's maybe that's another uh, Angel Breaker situation. Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe Brian Q. Miller has a nocturnal arc that I just don't remember. Nocturna arc that I don't remember back back in the day maybe back in back in 2000 probably not because that was around the same time that nocturna was in uh well no i guess that was in rebirth just get or new 52 i was thinking of the nocturna and batwoman but that that would have been after that yeah so possible this is just a really weird feeling uh story it doesn't yeah, fit it, it doesn't fit in at all with the rest it of the also story. feels like they're kind of trying to make like nocturna as like a potential love interest for bruce too which is weird <laughs> yes like he needs another one of those yeah right um oh there was a steph brown nocturna story i can't tell when this is from but they, they do have a past together now first name basis i don't know about all that um but Yes. Nocturna and 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 she have crossed paths before. It just feels like this story has nothing to do with the rest of the book. Oh, Nocturna developed Oh, Nocturna developed a friendly relationship with Steph Brown. I got to you know what? Uh this is going to be in the Roper report next week. I'm going to I'm going to report <laughs> It's time for some news. Doing that bit twice. Two twice in two weeks. Um, I'm uh, gonna. Baker's I'm, doesn't. <laughs> I don't get any of this still, and I don't like it anymore. The second I did last. No, week. you should. You should not like it. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna figure out the Steph Brown Nocturna thing, and I will report back to you guys next week. Okay. It still doesn't have a place in this book. No, maybe not. Um. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to, you know, obviously set up Dark Crisis from the villain's perspective. Maybe even plant Nocturna as a potential uh, face turn later. Which I could I, see I, that. Could be fun. If, if, if that's how it turns out, that could be fun. Um, but as it is, you're right. There's not much to this. And, and, and yeah, it does, it does feel out of place un, unless if we never get any more context for this, it's, it'll be a very weird story to have existed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So overall, this one, this road to dark crisis thing was kind of a whiff to me. Yeah. I think if you had put 
the first story, the, the, the Dick and John story and the Pariah story as maybe back matter for the first issue. Or if the free comic book day issue had this stuff in it. Yeah, that would have been even better, I think. Uh, I mean, I get why they would do this, but if I was um, going in with my hard-earned dollars to buy this uh, lead into Dark Crisis, I'd be I'd be pretty upset. Yeah, I get that. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about our second book of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back to talk about Shadow War Omega number one. This is written by Josh Williamson again, illustrated by Steven Segovia, Mike Henderson, and Howard Porter. Zach, why don't you start us off? What did you think of this finale of Shadow War? Well, I mean, uh, once again, I, I just called everything for, from the, the the reveal, which we talked about last time, to the motivations for said reveal. It got the whole thing. Congratulations. Um, what do you think about this issue? Well, uh, not much else. Sorry. That's all I got. I called the whole thing. It's not much more to talk about. You did. It was, you did. It was fine. Like, I, I think uh, this issue had good art. It's a perfect case of, so sometimes you have oversized issues that are just oversized for not for the story's sake. And it really sucks because it feels stretched out. But in this case, you had a 20 page story that gets stretched out into like almost 40 pages and the art is really good. And you let the artist breathe and do cool stuff. And then, and that makes the issue better. And it doesn't take forever to read and it's it, you read it and it's fine and you're satisfied and then you're done yeah, yeah. that's really well said no it's not <laughs> no no I, I i concur i think that's i think that is a very good description of this this okay. is this is um you know i i am not the world's biggest steven segovia fan i, I don't think he's a bad artist but he gets a lot of room to breathe here and is able to do some cool shit because he's not so restricted by the page count. Yeah. It's good. I think it is a much better use of an extended page count, especially for like a finale issue like this, than just like loading it up with, with dialogue and exposition and stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, I pre I appreciate it from that perspective. I, I think that like it all, resolves pretty logically or, or or as expected the only wrinkle is the epilogue really which um, ep- which part of the epilogue the the final epilogue okay the... i i, I want to talk about that in a minute but vince talk about this book before we do that 
Yeah, I, I, I really dug it. I thought it all came together really neatly and, um, and clean. And there was nothing like goofy or off about it. And having Geoforce be the bad guy, which we, you know, th- through Zach's uh, divination, we already basically knew. Um, but ha- having that happen and then including the, the flashback, it felt very throwbacky to like an earlier era of DC, which we already, we already said that about the dark crisis prelude too, which is, which is odd. It feels like this like clock is turning back in some interesting ways, uh, storytelling wise. Um, but also like you don't often get these heroes or characters being repurposed in these ways anymore. You know, I feel like, um, in the two thousands, it was very, um in vogue to kill off heroes and or have them change allegiances or do awful things like maybe they're still heroes but they did something awful you know um they have a secret sin from their past or whatever and it's just it's kind of refreshing to see them take it like an honest to goodness hero character from dc's past and have them do a heel turn and turn him into a turn him into a big kaiju (laughs) Well, and it, and I mean, it, it is also, I did want to point out, I, do, I was thinking when I read this, like, yeah, Geoforce is clearly the bad guy in this and he does very bad things, but he had very bad things done to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it is sympathetic. He is very sympathetic because the people he's going to, he's going after are also bad people, you know, yes, who yes, have done like yes. equally reprehensible things to people. And so it's like, it is very gray, you know, there. I don't know. I know Robin gets his like big line where he's like, heroes don't kill, but also like your mom has killed a lot of people, <laughs> yeah. you know, she's not and a Bruce hero. Kills, and Bruce kills people on a regular basis. Uh, accidentally, no, he, of course. He does not. Accidentally, accidentally, not even accidentally race. never happened. Um, they always live at the last minute. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had a really weird comp for this as I was reading this issue. And this is very much a uh, a nod to our boy, Danny D, who once called uh, Countdown 52 done right. <laughs> but this feels in a way like Heroes in Crisis done right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. We're yeah. like, you're talking about a hero that was under an incredible amount of stress and that snapped. But it doesn't feel disingenuous to the character in any way. You understand why Geoforce did this. I think his reasons are laid out well and understandably, even if you don't agree with them. And, you know, I I feel like this had all the pathos and all of the emotional underpinnings that Heroes in Crisis just didn't have. And this would be an awesome springboard for Heroes in Crisis, you know, like. Yes, absolutely. Like what what character would need Sanctuary more than Geoforce right now? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, that ship has sailed. Yeah. Um, but no, I thought I, I, I'm I'm with you, Vincey. I thought this was an excellent, really fun way to tie up this story. I think there are legitimately good moments with almost every major character in this. 
I think that there is really solid art from all three artists, but especially like we said from before, Segovia is the main guy on this. So I think Segovia does some really nice work here. And I, I think this just reinforces the thing that we've said for the last three or four weeks, which is that when the art is good on this book, on this event, rather, we really enjoy it. But when the art suffers, we, we don't, and we 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 don't connect with it as much and because the art was so good for this issue i think we all were able to see this for what it is as opposed to some of those issues of deathstroke inc that we just felt were really mid yeah and perhaps almost like the, per- almost like comics or like a visual medium you know yeah i know i was just gonna say perhaps there's a greater lesson to be learned beyond just shadow war um yeah i I, this is all i'm just very cynical you know i am i i'm just i've just seen it all i've seen it too much but uh i thought that this i feel it i thought this was i feel it oh man that was such a good good album um derailed him i think that i thought that this was fine i i wasn't too blown away by it I I know Vince, you you liked how cleanly and it all kind of like came together. I did, yeah. But I I thought it came together a little too cleanly, and resolved a little too cleanly. Yeah. That's just me. Well, I mean, I I think it depends. I, I feel like we, I make this reference every week now. I feel like it depends what our definition of is is here because <laughs> I, I would say that while it wraps up cleanly. It also lays a lot of groundwork for new stories here. And I think yeah, every- but they're all mostly stories I'm not that interested in. I think <laughs> but that's. I mean, that's 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 on you, man. You well, know. I guess so. I guess so. Geoforce being a kaiju was very cool. Yeah. I'll yes, that was that. very cool. I'll give it that. That whole section was cool. Yeah. I'm just a curmudgeon. Well, the um, cur- the curmudgeon in me just feels like. Unfortunately, this was Geoforce's first and probably the last story for the next 10 years. Well, I hope I, I hope he'll be on the Suicide Squad and we will hate it. That is 100 percent going to happen. Is it? Do you think I think he'll be in Dark Crisis somehow? Maybe, maybe. Um, I'm also a little confused how so like Bruce and Damien have been so up and down. So like at the, the at the beginning of this, they like hated each other. Then they had that nice moment where things are good. And then we talked about how, like, just a few pages later, Damien's, like, snapping it at Bruce again and, you know, acting all hostile. And then by the end of this, they're, they're resolved again. You know, the, they're, they're Batman and Robin. We get the logo. But then we know that Mark Waid is doing that Batman versus Robin story soon. And so I just, I, I, I am still, like, perplexed about what DC wants to do with Batman and Robin. Well, here's the thing. I don't think they give a shit. I think this is I think what we're seeing here is what Joshua Williamson wants to do with Batman and Robin. And okay. what we're seeing in the autumn is what Mark Wade wants to do with Batman okay. and Robin. Well, yeah. I just I just almost thought like when we got that announcement, it made sense like that that Damien was gonna stay antagonistic if we're going into this Batman versus Robin thing. Sure. But then but then he resolves it again. So well, yeah, they'll get in another fight right away though. And, yeah. and it'll be like It'll be like Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy all over again. Oh, well. We'll get to that in a few weeks. 
Um, anything else to say about this book? Um, well, you wanted the, to the, talk about the yeah, the epilogue to me was just a fart in the well. Wind. <laughs> no, okay, so so here is why I want to talk about the epilogue. So there is um, some evidence. Evidence is the wrong word. There is some precedence for people coming out of a Lazarus pit changed and different and more sort of feral in some instances. And I feel like one of the things we talked about a few weeks ago was that the Slade that we've been seeing does not necessarily feel like the Slade that is going to go off and like command the dark army or whatever. Right. Yeah. It just, it, it, it is that character hasn't felt like it hasn't felt like a logical character beat for this, for the Slade we've been seeing recently. And so having a story where now Slade comes out of this and you can see, oh, okay, he was changed by the pit. That's why he's doing this. That actually really satisfies the pedant in me. I guess. <laughs> Do you also think like this is, this is the way I read this is this is the great darkness possessing him through the Lazarus pit. Yeah. Yes. You see the goop. You do see the goop. Yep. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is all <laughs> over this book. Um, he goes into the noni and comes out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Here's here's Did my I not question. Say that? Here's my no, here's my question because this this episode's all been dark crisis prep. Next week is Dark Crisis. Boy. Can well, I have specifically been talking a lot about how much the lead up to Dark Crisis reminds me of the lead up to Infinite Crisis. Mm -hmm. Is there any universe where Dark Crisis comes anywhere near Infinite Crisis? <sighs> I, I think that's a I very hard know. question to answer because I feel like when we think of if, I mean, maybe I'll speak for myself here. When I think of Infinite Crisis, I don't just think of the one trade that collects Infinite Crisis oh, one I, through whatever. Uh -huh. I think of like the DC at the time of Infinite Crisis, sure. yeah. which is one of like my four or five favorite DC status quos of all time. I love the way DC felt in between Infinite Crisis and the end of 52. Like that whole period is just. That's the chef kiss emoji, right? So I feel like I don't think that we will. And again, this goes back to the first thing I said in this episode, which is that I don't think we will feel like the dark crisis era is a thing because it's not reflected everywhere. And so I I like my comics messy and big. And so I, I don't think I'll ever be able to look at what is a relatively small event and say it lives up to this gigantic messy event that had a time skip and then a mini series, a, a limited series, like investigating the time skip. Like there was just so much going on in that period of time. Do I think that these, well, we don't know what'll come out of it though. I no, mean, we don't. Like no, we, we don't. I, mean, I, I I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm being, I think, you know, not quite cynical, but maybe realistic about that. But what I'll say is I feel like, there is a chance that the the miniseries itself comes close. But I also think that Infinite Crisis is such a specific tap 
into the DC three like well of things we love, you know, yeah. but between like Superboy Prime and Earth Two stuff, and there's just there's there's so much in there that is that is just well. I, so I think that us. Williamson wants to do all that stuff and more, though, is what I think. I feel like yeah, this is tapping into like everything, you know. So I think I think the publishing style is so different. Publishing concerns are so different that you can't recreate that. I, I agree That's that really fair, yeah. I agree that he wants to. I think that I think in a perfect world, like Shadow War and a few of these other things slot in as the like checkmate. Right, right. Etc. replacements. And in a way they kind of do, but it but it does feel that it it feels like they are meant to be way more standalone than those stories were. Um even though in retrospect like you could read them on their own, but they were all feeding into, well, so is this. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know, you guys, <laughs> maybe Zach is closer than we think. Honestly, maybe we, maybe it just doesn't occur to us because you know what? The marketing around those uh-huh. mini series was yeah. so heavily. Yes. Whereas the marketing around these are very much not uh, until the very end. Like this last month, everything is going to be like, and this feeds into Dark Crisis, you know, mm-hmm. whereas those miniseries that there was like a year long lead up saying. Yes. Um, Did absolute- those miniseries come out before or after or during Infinite Crisis? I'm almost positive it was before. Yeah, I think those were all the build up to India's Infinite Crisis. But wasn't it called like. But then there were one shots that came out yes. during. Yes, yeah, that's crisis. right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Those were all part to, of. Go yes. Ahead. Yeah. That was to say to me, that felt like DC collectively decided Infinite crisis is where we're spending the next year of our lives. Yeah. And everything was built up to that. This feels like even if Williamson wants that and even if DC theoretically is supportive of that. It doesn't it, feel like it doesn't feel that way at all. No. Yeah, that's and that's that you you'll recall. That's been my complaint this whole time about the, the infinite frontier status quo. Right. Because which someone, we, could, someone which we could, have thought about. Yes. Yes. But someone could easily point to that and say, what are you talking about? The infinite frontier is what's been building to this. And it's been more than a year. And, and like, OK, yeah, technically, you're right. I'm just telling you the feel of reading comics. In 2004, or whenever that was 2006. 2006 2005 five okay the feel of reading those comics and what dc marketing was doing versus now it's night and day Mm -hmm. even if it's trying to accomplish a similar thing now if there had been like four infinite frontier branded miniseries going in the like that you know yeah at the same time uh uh-huh yeah 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 and i think (laughs) I really do think like like there oh there's a lot of very talented people who who work at DC in their marketing and everything and 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 they do a lot of a lot of great stuff for us you know but the engine operated differently back then you know it was much more in your face than it is now whereas I think I I think now they're in your face about selling you maybe certain graphic novels or certain um 
like the pride stuff, which is, which is great. I'm not criticizing that. Like that's, that is what needs to be done with initiatives like that, but they're less intense about selling you the, this is the status quo of the entire uh universe yeah like like imagine a uni- a, a, a world where like we had the infinite frontier miniseries and then that spun off into like say say like we had justice league incarnate and say we had like superman and the authority and trials of the amazons and then like one other book and all yeah. of those books fed into dark crisis yes somehow. like yes that right. would have been exactly zach that that would have been what the stuff in 2005 was. And I, I think a big part of that, like love him or hate him. Dan DiDio was like the carnival barker that was yes. po- pointing you to all these things mm-hmm. constantly. Well, that's what I was going to say is I, I don't think that we can, and not that you are placing the blame here, Vincey, but I think that you can't even say DC marketing is, is the, like the catalyst here to me, this no. is, I, I I think that without a, like say what you want about Dan Dio and Joe Casada, like they are very much two sides of the same coin uh, in terms of how they hype up stuff for their lines. Yeah. I feel like without that guy being the hype man and without somebody in the DC offices saying like, you know, look, we all, you know, have very mixed ones at the new 52, but that's a true example of DC deciding, okay, we, we are going to unify our vision for the next year or five into something. And I think without that, this is what you get. You get stuff that, that arguably is just as good. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be, but theoretically there is no reason why dark crisis couldn't be as good as infinite crisis from a talent perspective. Right. But mm-hmm. it will never feel the same because it's not that grand push. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. You just, you don't have that. Like you don't have that CEO out, like hucking books at everyone. Right. Um, and and that, that does make a big difference. But anywho, you're yeah, the story could be just as good. We're just not we're just not as prepared to think of it that way yet. Right. I think I don't know. Agreed. Completely agreed. Yes. I also think that like it is it is going to be very hard. Were Vince, were you reading monthly floppies for Infinite Crisis? Um let's see. I I no, I was in college around that time because of financials I had to severely limit what I was reading. So I think I think I've told this story before on the show but I was reading the uh, Green Lantern stuff, the Johns stuff. And I was reading <laughs> Daniel Way's Deadpool. Yes. And like one other book. Um maybe it was uh, Amazing Spider-Man or something, but um I, I was reading like three comics for, for those uh, basically my college years. Yeah, this was it's funny. This was right after my college years, but I was similarly financially depraved. And so I I dropped off comics for a while. And so I think it's very different. And I know Zach was not reading 
monthly comics at this point. I wasn't reading comics when this right. was coming out yeah. at all. Like that, I wasn't there yet. He was right. watching the the Star Wars prequels before the original trilogy. Yes, exactly. No. Uh, and but he was. Uh, but what I'm saying, is I was like, watching Smallville at this point. Yes, yeah, that's where I was. <laughs> Somebody save Zach. Um, yeah. But so my my point is that all of us came to this as a completed property. And I feel like that totally changes how you look at a comic. That there might have been stuff that came out monthly that we wouldn't have vibed with the same way in that format. But we were able to take it all in at our own pace or whatever. And that's that's a very different story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, I loved Infinite Crisis and everything around it. And I never I never read those miniseries like like Countdown to Infinite Crisis stuff. Uh until we did our crisis management. So, you know. Yeah. But see, I remember the marketing. That's the thing. I wasn't reading. I wasn't reading so much at one time, but I I remember. I wasn't reading and I remember the marketing. Like I remember seeing that stuff like all over IGN, you know, I remember Mm -hmm. seeing the like, uh, the the cover of like Superboy Prime in his armor yeah. with like the lasso and the the K or you know what the the Trinity items or whatever yeah and like just thinking that like what the fuck is this you know like so yeah and nothing in Dark Crisis I think could has has or could match that so far right? yeah yeah I I think. <laughs> okay we've been talking about this for a lot and we're kind of rambling or or at least i'm maybe going to be rambling here but another big key is that i i really do think we're very much still in nostalgia mode and williamson has promised that dark crisis is going to kick that over the edge a little bit in where we're going to get more um about the legacy and perhaps the future of the DCU and what the justice league looks like and all that, you know, mm-hmm. whereas unless I'm mistaken or, or can't remember and misremembering that, that 2005 and forward or 2004 and forward period, a, a lot of it was criticized because it's like, Oh, Oh, they're just, all they're doing is bringing silver age characters who have died back. Right. Like Hal, whatever, whatever. Right. Right. But what it felt like, to me as a reader or as someone who was not reading everything, but following it at the time was, yeah, you're bringing all these old concepts back, but nothing about infinite crisis. Like all of that stuff was very much um, a reconfiguration of the DC universe. Right. Mm -hmm. That was Jeff John's whole thing was like constantly giving you a chalkboard full of like 10 to 12 things you were going to see right in the next year. And it was all, it was all moving towards new stuff. Whereas I feel like since even before death metal, it's, it's all been about, well, we promise you that we promise you that we're bringing back all this stuff that you love about DC back in the day. And it's maybe finally culminating in that. Am I am I off base there, or or maybe I don't see I'll, the thing. My biggest criticism about DC over the last few years has been just like 
just all about undoing everything that new 52 did and taking way too long to do it way too long to do that's that's what i'm saying yeah whereas like yeah what you're saying like johns and, and company yeah they were on paper just bringing back all the silver age stuff but i also think that they were It, they were crafting so, a lot of new lore. Yeah, too. exactly. Yes, like yes. It's, on paper, I want to say it seems really regressive, but it was actually like very progressive, like not politically, but from like a story standpoint. Like they were they were doing adding a lot of new stuff to the to the DC universe. Whereas, like I guess you could still argue that right now, like there's they're still bringing a lot of new stuff. They're, DC right now is adding a lot of new characters, but not a lot of new lore and story. Does that yeah you, do you agree i i do agree with the caveat that that if williamson is telling the truth that's a that's about to get kicked open a little bit maybe and i think i think future state was a look at what that could look like but then that whole thing was just it was weird like the rollout and everything i mean that had the that had the, to, the potential to be like the Johnsian future vision of what was going to happen in the DCU. But instead they decided to do this thing where they, they show it to you and then they backfill it in a really weird way. Yes. And that, that whole thing just, again, it's accomplishing a similar thing to what I'm talking about that DC was doing back then, but it's doing it in a way that doesn't capture that same feeling. And now I just sound like a guy who wants comics to be like they were when I was in my twenties. And, and, and isn't that the age old criticism of Wednesday warrior douchebags like ourselves? See, here's the thing. I don't think we're calling for comics to be like that. To me, what we're calling for is for the publisher to make this stuff feel more important. Those are very different things. Yeah, that's fair. Well, anyway, what else is so fair is the amount of time I've stalled to give you the time to look up the books for next week, Vince. I so. got them. I've had them all. I've had them all, all right. night. Well, all right. Tell us what's going next week, please. Well, Aquaman Andromeda. Good luck with that. Um, Ooh, number one. I'm excited about that. I bet you are. Um, Batman. We're going to talk about that. We're going to have to, aren't we? You know what I'm going to say already. Um, Batman 124. Batman Beyond Neo Year number three, Batman Killing Time number four, Dark Crisis number one, Dark Knights of Steel number seven, the DC Pride Anthology, um, Flashpoint Beyond number two, oh boy, uh, Monkey Prince five, Multiversity Teen Justice number one, Nubia Queen of the Amazons number one, Poison Ivy one. Well, that's a packed week of comics. That I don't is know. a lot of stuff. I actually I, don't know what we're going to talk yeah, about. We got to talk about that off air. I, um, I know. Okay. Well, you can inform I, us. I have I have the answers. You can inform us when we're done with this podcast. You're though. not gonna like it. I'm looking at the next week, and there's nothing that we should talk about that week. So I think we should just split next week into two <gasps> episodes. I don't mind that. There, there's yeah. The that may not that, be a bad idea. Yeah. The things that aren't as like bombshelly. Um, yeah. Bom- yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Let's do that. I love it. I love it, Zach. All right. We'll talk Good about idea. this off the air. But uh, until then, uh, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I'm at Brian is an app. Oh, and I changed my Twitter handle. I'm now at the Wilk of Z. It's a one piece <laughs> reference. <laughs> Wait, Zachary D. Wilkerson. 
Yeah. Uh, and I am at le underscore Joker Man Four. What? <laughs> You've rendered me speechless, my friend. Vince is back on Twitter. I fi- well, I finally got on that dang bird site. <laughs> he heard Elon Musk is buying it. Was like, I need part of this. Well, I just want my free speech back. I yeah. understand. <laughs> it's actually because he's been banned from both uh, the the truth media or social media and also a uh, parlor. So he, he needs a place to showcase all of his NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I, I, I am the one who has all the apes everyone lost. Oh, boy. Yeah, Seth do, Green's yeah. coming for you. Oh. <laughs> How about no, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you next week. Bye. I do like that this Obi-Wan looks like very late era Eddie Vedder. Yes. <laughs> he looks like Eddie Vedder looks now. My... Uh... My biggest takeaway from my most recent Attack of the Clones rewatch this week is and I, I've tweeted about this before as as kind of a half joke, but now I fully believe it, which is that Obi-Wan looks like he could be in the Doobie Brothers in that in that <laughs> movie. Like he perfectly looks like a yacht rocker. Yep. Yeah, I'm taking over here there. Taking it to Tatooine. <laughs> we got the Yoda, baby. <laughs> <laughs>